Hi, this is Savannah Saunders from The Wonderful Art of Dance, and today I am incredibly honoured to introduce world-renowned, critically acclaimed dancer and one of the most important choreographers of our time, and one of my favourite choreographers, Akram Khan, MBE. Akram Khan is the artistic director and co-founder of the award-winning and groundbreaking company, Akram Khan Company, which was formed in 2000 with, between himself and Saroj Chaudhary. This exceptional and innovative and internationally respected contemporary dance company is celebrating its 20th anniversary during these unprecedented and challenging times for the dance industry. To mark this milestone and celebrate the last two decades, the company is presenting a program of work called The Silent Burn Project, which is being live streamed free worldwide on Sunday the 4th of October, midday UK time. So you can tune in, make sure you get the timings right, for the companies on the company's YouTube, Facebook, and their website. So let's have a chat with the artistic director and find out more about the Silent Burn Project. Hi, Akram. Hi, how are you? So lovely to talk to you. So you're at you home too. as well. You're, I am. Yes, we're all still at home. How yeah. has your lockdown experience been? How have you been dealing with the restrictions that have been affecting dance? I think it's been up and down. Um, I think when we went into lockdown, that was a very violent, traumatic moment because it was a realisation of the truth of the situation. Um, and uh, we were two weeks shy of a world premiere with English National Ballet, uh, a work called Creature. <clears throat> and uh, I think five months into lockdown, uh, you know, uh, I, I was really struggling emotionally, psychologically. Uh, so I was quite da uh, pretty down. I mean, the only thing lifeline that kept me going was um, my urgent need to support young artists. So I did a lot of talks with students from graduating from university, um, from young uh, artists, uh, uh, um, people of color, uh, choreographers. Um, and uh, yeah, that's really kept me going because it, it gave me a, a kind of a purpose. But really, um, the depression lay in the realization that I was depressed was I was not creative in those five months at all. But it allowed me to get to know my family a little bit, you know, I have two small children, and uh, that filled the depression with joy, actually. Um, and that was my breathing, if you like, my, my oxygen. And uh, I have a small boy called, uh, five years old and a daughter seven years old. And um, I got to know them for the first time. And I think they got to know me because I travel so much. Um, we forget that the most ordinary uh, things that we consider ordinary are can be the most and are the most extraordinary things, um, moments of your life. Uh, and uh, And I got to know my mother even better. Uh, because she came and lived with us because my father was stuck in Bangladesh. So when he came back, he had to quarantine, but my mother had to move out. So she moved into our house and she got to know our rhythm because she doesn't know me. She knows me as, well, she knows me, but she knows me as a son, but she knows me, she doesn't know me in, in house life, home life. And she was quite shocked of how involved I am uh, with cleanliness and cleaning the house and everything being in order. And um, yeah, somehow in, in my work environment, um, I have, I work with a lot of people. So in a sense, they create, they keep an order so I can be chaotic. But in my home life, usually it's chaotic because I'm never around. 
and my lovely wife has to kind of uh, manage with you know like a single mother really with two children and it's 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 huge amount of work and so it's it i love i love kind of choreographing uh, uh furniture around the room and changing them all the time so sometimes my wife walks in and goes hang on who changed this whole room are we now in the dining room or or the living this has just changed overnight so in the middle of the night i would just work um that was my way moving things was my way of dealing with not moving um but yeah and i i came out of it uh, i i realized when i came out of it is when i started becoming when i started wanting to have dialogues creatively and the silent burn project was one of them for sure that kind of uh, um pulled me out of that zone and also uh i'm in the midst of creating uh, a work uh for manchester international festival with this wonderful animator uh called naman azari uh and so that's really excited me a lot and then you know i've got uh, a few projects um uh, that have started already uh, a kind of a momentum which is for next year and the year after it's a long term project it's two years or three years in the making so um i'm working on a project with misty copeland wow um, i can't talk too much about it because it's 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 still it's still being discussed right now of of you know that um mostly the scheduling really we both want to do this you know uh but i'm very excited and i've got to finish creature i've been dying to finish creature and we were yeah it's just it's just really hard um it's the first time in anybody's life uh definitely my life where you know you've just paused <clears throat> and i think that's important to say that for me it's not a stop you know we're stopped from traveling uh we're stopped from moving out of the house we're stopped from moving out of we uh we we just forced to stop but if you replace the word stop with pause then perhaps we look at pause we look at the situation differently and it's a moment pause allows us a moment to reflect to reflect on our present but also our past and so that really lends itself to the silent burn project because really it's 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 the the project is a kind of an, a poem if you like of our past leading into the present and then leading into the future it's a timeline a poetic timeline um uh, through uh, interviews that we've done we've held um some wonderful talks debates mr copeland's part of that soima manzoor this wonderful poet uh, we've got um the wonderful writer and academic uh, royana mitra and many others uh, philosophers anthropologists um uh, talking so there are two talks in there that i'm very i feel very um uh, close to because uh, i proposed two themes one of them was um otherness to talk about otherness because you know the covid-19 we all know that covid-19 this pandemic has revealed if anything other pa- pandemics um systematic racism uh, particularly black lives matter um uh but people of color generally uh it's and 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 other pandemics so um yeah it's just a moment to reflect but also to celebrate um and say thank you to all the people that have been involved in uh uh holding our hands in this journey uh, over the 20 years i would like to take a pause because you have revealed 
you know, quite personal information there, which actually a lot of people um, would find quite um, unexpected for someone, you know, world-renowned, you know, world-famous choreographer talking about your own depression um, and actually talking very openly about that. And I think that is really important for people to hear because a lot of people, particularly as we go through this pandemic, and as you say, as we are pausing in our homes and pausing a lot of people's livelihoods, dancers aren't able to dance, companies are being really challenged financially. You talking about you know going through this as someone of your caliber. Um, I hope this will be able to you know let other people or allow other people to feel that they can talk about their experience and some of the darker moments as we are all going going through this together. And I think that is quite something to 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 open up and to talk about. Yeah, thank you. I, but I feel very strongly to be very to be super clear that I'm also very privileged. I'm in a privileged situation because, you know, uh, the company's still there um, and it's going strong. Even if we're not touring, we, we have, you know, Farouk Chaudhry and uh, the whole team have really um, been able to uh, uh, protect the company um, over this dark year, if you like, and into the next. So I'm in, a, in that privileged position, but for so many dancers and technicians and freelance artists, um, freelance people, it's it's um it's horrendous it it is terrible and it just makes me really upset of the way our governments have dealt with this situation um but you know it's not a surprise because we just i just made xenos in 2018 and it's really about a reflection about um Indian colonial soldiers who fought in the first world war and then were erased but uh, from history but what's interesting is <clears throat> Uh, what happened five years prior to the First World War and five years prior to the Second World War, the system, this, um, the symptoms, but also the, the, I call them chess moves, the strategy of positioning oneself um, of power, within power, um, to control the mass. The same symptoms are happening right now. Um, and it's extraordinary, extraordinary that we are you know, to, uh, that I, that we're able to see the same mistakes repeat itself. And uh, that's, that's the really, it's, it seems like we can't get out of uh, um, our thirst and hunger for power uh, and oppression and separation and division and neglect. Uh, um, we can't get it out of, out of our system. Absolutely, the, the power structures that exist, they seem to exist on the oppression of others. Yeah, the subjugation. And, you know, yeah. yeah, and it comes from, you know, uh, uh, colonialism, it comes from empire, uh, you know, and, and now it exists, the same system, just give it a different name, it's called um, um, uh, 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 the, the modern world, really. Um, yeah. yeah. It is, it is easy to become, um, to feel, uh, as I know um, a lot of people and I do, you sort of feel like there's, there's not, you can't affect change, you know, from our, from within our little homes and, you know, as we are sort of locked down and we feel that actually our voices aren't being heard. And so I guess, you know, when it comes to, to dance, to be able to 
know that the voices of dancers continue and the voice of creators are continuing during this time and companies are able to flourish and there is work for some dancers out there despite the lack of funding from the government despite the lack of recognition of the you know the decimation of the dance industry um but i sort of want to let's sort of go right back if we're right back into history sure. um and talk about your own career and we'll come back around to the Sullivan project you started dancing yourself very young. You studied South, a South Asian dance. You got, when did you get started and why did you start dancing in the first place? Well, I, I started by um, encouragement or you can call it being forced. <laughs> Either way, my aunties would call it encouragement. I would call it forced, but it worked out for the best for me. I'm blessed that they did push me um, at the age of three. Um, just to define uh, my, to give us context of uh, my state of being as a child was, I couldn't put a sentence together at the age of seven still in words. Um, but I could, I could do a choreography of 10 minutes wow. um, at the age of three. So um, obviously my language, um, uh, uh, my brain was wide in a way, my body was wide in a way uh, to um, tell stories and tell pat uh, to dis to uh, show patterns um, through the movement. And so my mother figured that, and my aunties figured that quite um, early on in my in my childhood. And at seven, I discovered Michael Jackson. Really, I saw Michael Jackson on television. That really changed politically my even though I didn't think it was political at the time, of course, I wasn't conscious of that, but suddenly there was a brown or a person of color um, on, on, on t television. And I, I you know, uh, I have to say it does not, uh, um, it, it, by saying this, I, I do not uh, accept uh, what he has done. Of you know, um, it's unacceptable. And I think we have to also be aware of that, that there are many artists who get away in the past and still get away um, with um, the abuse of their power uh, and they create huge harm to people because they, are, they feel that the others are powerless and this has to stop. It should have stopped really? a long time ago. But the truth of the matter was, of course, we didn't know that at the time, I was seven years old. And he was my lifeline. And so I started doing Michael Jackson and that kind of terrified my parents. Not in a bad way, but in a way that, hang on, you know, because my body was a museum for them, a living museum, because they had just come out of a civil war, a war between Pakistan. It was West Pakistan and East Pakistan. And eventually Bangladesh became independent. East Pakistan became Bangladesh. And that was in 71. I was born in 74. So the trauma of war you know, they lost a lot of friends, family, people they knew. And the trauma of it, the way they dealt with grieving was to not impose, but to push those stories into their children. So they wouldn't, we would not forget what they fought for and the people that died. And so my body somehow became a living museum for them. And so I learned all the kind of folk dances and the war dances and the victory dances. And, uh, and then, um, I had this amazing opportunity with Peter Brook, uh, which changed my whole life. I mean, we came to, 
we traveled the world with the Royal Shakespeare Company and, and, and their French company, production company. Um, and it was not just Peter, but it was, it was the sense that I was with um, some of the great actors of, our, of that time. And, you know, I'm not a great actor, uh, I, I'm, uh, uh, but I was amongst them. And any child who, uh, you know, at that age, I was 13, um, is, it hasn't been molded yet. They don't have a view of the world. They don't have a view of how they're going to perceive the world. But to be in the shadow of Peter Brook and those great giants of actors for a year plus, a year, uh, perhaps a year and two months or something like that, uh, touring the world, seeing how they lived life. I mean, they lived life. They th saw the world through the lens of storytelling and through their art. That changed that um, had a huge impact on the way I started to see the world after I came back from that tour. And then I struggled with college and school because suddenly it was people telling you to learn from a book. They were telling you what is right and wrong rather than experiencing what is right and wrong or ex questioning it. It wasn't the school's fault. It's just that it was, it was my... Um, my experience of working with Peter that changed, that I could not adapt to normal school life. And then I went to university and discovered contemporary dance. But I, going to university was really to run away from my aunties and uncles because suddenly there was this pressure when I was 16 to, I didn't manage to go to any private school. So all the boys and girls in my community all went, predominant 99% went to private school. I was probably the only few one of the few who didn't go so uh they didn't see me as you know very academic which i was not which is true um so they wanted me to kind of you know go to university and do maths or become a doctor that was my uh, Naturally. Yeah. <laughs> or, or lawyer or a lawyer uh, yeah. accountant that's another one <laughs> And uh, I saw on a prospectus, De Montfort University, contemporary dance. And I was like, what the hell is that? I don't care. I don't know what contemporary is, but I know what dance is. I'm going to go for that. And I auditioned and went for an interview and I got in and that really shifted my direction in a positive way. And so you, you start off as a South Indian dance um, student. You go and discover contemporary dance. And these the two worlds collide and they combine for you what was that experience like for you for you as a an artist and a, crea a creator how did how did it feel to embody those different types of dance styles i think what's really important is to always whenever you look at a particular moment in time you, uh, you've got to look at the context before it so i grew up as a child above my dad's restaurant um and Above my dad's restaurant, we had a small living room. We lived with waiters and the chefs who lived in the other rooms. So it was a very communal place. But in the living room, that was our place, the family. And on one side was a VHS recorder with a, uh, a, a very simple television. And my dad would put, play Bollywood films all day long. On the other side was a record player because my mum, to earn extra money, would work at Decca Records. Uh, so she worked in the factory there. And so she would bring these records that were scratched. So they would give them to uh, their employers um, and so their workers. And so she would bring some home. And so 
she would play her music, which was usually um, Tom Jones, ABBA, <laughs> um, David Bowie, you know. So, the but they would, they didn't care that it was in the same room. So the cacophony of these two different cultures, cultural musical um, events happening in the same room, eventually I started to find a synchronicity, but not synchronicity, I started to find um, a clarity or a connection between, but I, I got comfortable with the chaos of these two very different aesthetics and very different musical genres. Um, so I grew up with that, like a cacophony of cultures mixing together. Um, so it wasn't very alien to me when I started contemporary dance, having by that time a bit more knowledge about Indian classical dance in the body. But my classical t uh, guru, Sri Pratapar, who I'm a disciple of, um, was seminal to me because he pointed out that somehow your kattak is not pure anymore. It's, it's being contaminated with something. And my contemporary teachers, he didn't say it negatively. He was just curious about it. That's important to say. But my contemporary teachers were tremendously curious. And they said, there's something interesting in that clash. So I started to investigate that. Um, and somehow the body was making decisions for itself. It wasn't a conscious or a clever intellectual academic um, realization, the body was deciding what it likes and what it doesn't. And um, yeah, somehow it just, uh, uh, it didn't fuse. I don't like the word fusion. I like, prefer the word confusion. It was very, it was very, um, uh, uh, my body embraced the confusion of it all. The, the combination and the confusion of Kataka and uh, contemporary dance, but also the way in which you bring narration and music and spoken word into your productions. I love that word confusion rather than fusion because it does create this unique universe that we get to go into for this really special moment that stays with you forever. And I mean, I started off by saying I'm a huge fan and it's no, it's no understatement, you know, your work has I've almost, I, th I think I've seen every piece um, in the last 15 years that you've put on here in London and they've stayed with me. I still remember moments sat in the audience and watching these on-stage moments that literally shifted me and moved me and will forever stay with me. And I always remember that feeling of leaving and taking that with me as if it's like a, a scent or a, a vibrancy that continued out of the theatre. It's a... Uh, it's quite an amazing effect for anyone who hasn't seen it. You will get a chance to see it with uh, this live world broadcast, which is very, very exciting. But tell me about that. So you've been creating work, as you mentioned, since you're, since you're pretty much, you know, before you were talking, as you said, and throughout your, your student years. Um, when you came to, well, tell me about the moment when you decided to set up your own company what was the precursor to this and what was that moment i knew that i didn't want to go alone i didn't want to do anything alone and i think uh, when farouk and i met through the introduction of jonathan burrows who connected us both uh he jonathan was my mentor um uh, and he was also a friend of farouk's and he felt both of us were the right match so it was a bit a bit of matchmaking and the moment i met farouk i felt um, 
It's funny, he's not telling me where we can go. All the other producers had done that, the producers that I met, they knew exactly where I could go. What he said was, his first words were, I don't know where we can go, but I want to go with you. Should we just take that risk? We don't know, we, we don't know the pathway we're going to take, but perhaps we could set a few values. And, um, you know, they were about being ambitious, about risk-taking, about being curious, and about collaborative work, really about collaboration. So in a sense, my first collaboration was with, official collaboration was with Farouk in terms of the company. Um, and so I've had, you know, a, a great uh, older brother, if you like, um, that watched my back, that took, you know, that made sure that um, I had the right ingredients for the process, for the creation, not for the product. It's not about the product. It was really about the process. And so, you know, we're a company that takes a long time to create work. So even if I start a conversation and plant a seed with my collaborators, it's not until three years later do we actually realize that on, on, on the premiere. And so uh, that's something Farouk and I had set up that, you know, I'm a slow, I, I chew slowly and I digest things slowly because for me it has to be, I don't want to think from my head always. I want to feel from my body um, and respond with my body of what I'm seeing, that I'm what I'm creating. Um, there are intellectual choreographers <clears throat> who are, sorry, there are choreographers who are more intellectually driven and I love their work. Um, it's just, uh, it's, it's not perhaps my way. My, and I loved what you said. It's, it's a real blessing to hear that about, you know, you're moved because for me, <clears throat> Always one of the things that I try to achieve with my collaborators, particularly Ruth Little, my drama talk, who's Australian, actually, and she's in Australia right now. Um, she, she, she's my closest collaborator, I would say. And then there's Maven Koo, who joined our company this decade, let's say, uh, not before 2010, but after 2010. And he's like a, a, a brother to me, and uh, he's our creative associate. And together with all the other collaborators, like Michael Hulls and other lighting designers and composers, Vincenzo Lamagna, um, we, 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 you know, we uh, uh, try to, um, we want to, we have a mission to hit the audience, the viewer in the guts. Um, and then if it hits them in the guts, they go away taking that feeling of what they experienced. And then while they go through their normal lives, this is an ideal scenario, of course, while they go through their normal lives, things start to filter up towards their brain and they start to make, they start to make sense of what they felt so they can describe it in words. What I'm saying is really the experience that I had when I saw Café Muller by Pina Bausch, when I saw some of DV8's work, yeah. um, when I saw some of Ling Wai Ming's work, when I saw some of uh, uh, um, uh, 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 Yuri Killian's work, William Forsyth's work, you know, earlier work, uh, you know, because I was younger then and I remember going to see the shows and I couldn't put it into words. But um, that's when I know it's profound work for me. It's deeply, uh, it's, it's, it's gone in deep um, that I can't put it into words. So, so that's the kind of work that I've always wanted to make, really. I mean, it's so easy to say, but so hard. And, you know, we don't always achieve it, but that's the aim. It, as you say, it is easy, easy to, sorry, it is easy to say, but not easy to achieve. 
Um, and I would love to know, and you said you're, you know, you're a slow creator and you feel from the body, but you know, your, your work is, the portfolio is, you know, it's massive, you know, from one end of the scale, as you say, you're working with the Misty Copelands and the English National Ballets. And, you know, on the other end, you have worked with artists like Anish Kapoor and you've done the Olympics. And then in between, you've got Cloudgate, who are exceptional. Um, yep. You've got your piece with Sylvie, and then you've got Dust, and you know all of this. You know, how do you how do you start, or what is your process for creating your work? You mentioned it's slow, but tell me about the the process. When you'd rather come up with it yourself, or you're given a brief? Um, it's quite rare uh, in the past where I would be invited, where I would accept a commission. And what I mean by that is when somebody already has a brief, an idea of what they want it to, they give me the context of what they would like me to do. Um, that happened in the beginning a little bit. And then, no, in the beginning, it was really what I wanted to do. And then the more known you became, I became, um, I would say there was a lot of commissioning work coming in and I took one or two, but I didn't want to do all of them. I really wanted to come. I really wanted to do something that I believed in. It's not that I didn't believe in the commissioned work, but it was from an outside body, outside my body. It was from somebody else's uh, experience and mind. And, and now I'm going back to doing more commissioning work because um I don't want to just tell my story. I want to tell the stories of others, the ones that have been forgotten, the ones I wanted to tell. We wanted to tell the stories. AKC wanted to tell the stories of um, uh, the forgotten uh, Indian colonial soldiers that were written out of history, the story from female perspectives, characters that are important in, like, for example, Until the Lines of Amba and Shikandi. Um, so uh, there was a shift, and that shift really happened and that's, that's an empathetical shift because that shift happened, I think, because my children gave birth to a father in me. And so I started to see the world through their eyes and my daughter's eyes. And when I saw it through my daughter's eyes, it was more horrific and arduous, the future, for, for the way if I saw it through her lens, than my son's. And it's not my son's would be it wasn't hard when I tried to see it through his eyes or imagine it through his eyes. Um, but my daughter's was harder. And so, you know, I, I became very, that really fed into the choice of work, the choice of subjects and themes that I would uh, want to kind of focus on. And when you go into the studio um, and work with the dancers, do you have, do you bring the choreography with you? Do you co-create the choreography? Tell me about how that works for you. Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, I'm really good. I've become really good. I've practiced so much at being good at acting like I know what, what the hell I'm doing. Um, but what happens really is a year before, a year and a half, sometimes, yeah, a year and a half before we get into a studio, I spend time with my collaborators. The lighting designer, the costume designer, the dramaturg, the researchers, um, the set designer, uh, the engineers that are going to build it. Um, and we spend a year uh, like hunter gatherers gathering seeds of ideas based on one thing, 
that I planted on that first day of the meeting. And that Peter Brook defines it so beautifully as a formless hunch. So it could be a smell, it could be a color, it could be uh, just one word and a concept um, or an idea, you know, but it's floating idea because now it can be affected depending on what soil we put in. And so the collaborators put the soil in. I just plant the seed. Then they put the soil in and depending on what soil they put in uh, determines how the plant grows. When the dancers come in, um, you see the first um, arrival of the shoot. And that's when the dancers start to, um, because they're co-creators with me, they're um, definitely collaborators, um, especially of the material, not necessarily of the theme, sometimes of the theme, but predominantly of the material. So we co-create it, but less and less I'm, I'm creating from my own body, especially like Giselle, because really I was so fascinated. It was the first time I sat down most of the time. Um, and that was the realization that, okay, uh, my, my body's stories are not coming to an end, but they can slow down a little bit because I have to give space for other bodies because I'm more, I seem to be more drawn towards their stories through their bodies. And so, you know, Giselle was very much in, in my, in uh, looking back at it was, I would say 80% the vocabulary was from the ballet world, from their world. And 20% was from mine, but I wanted to meet those two points meet those two very different um, languages meet. Um, and that was very important. Whereas creature is 80% mine or 70% mine and 30% the classical. So, you know, I wanted to change it as well. So it's not, or it's not a repetition. If you like, I didn't want to take another classic. Uh, it would just be too obvious to do. Um, so really the artists, the dancers that I work with have to be creative. They, they are authors of their, of the language that we, uh, 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 that we create together. And with your own company as the artistic director, what type of dancers do you look for? What type of collaborations or what are the, what are the, the, the types of individuals and artists that you'd like to bring into your company to work with? Well, ideally, I, the bottom fundamental uh, line before we even start talking is they have to be technically strong. And I don't mean technically in one particular form. They can be technically strong in their form, whether it's um, street dance, whether it's Indian classical dance, whether it's folk dance, whether it's theater, they have to know the form because in the sense, what I want to pull out of them is for them to be free from the form. But you can only free yourself from the form if you know it really well. And so I look for those kind of dancers, those kind of performers, if you like. Um, and it also very much depends on the subject or theme that I'm looking at. So my dancers are not employed uh, uh, um, continuously. Um, they're, they're, they're specific to a project uh, because that theme, I feel, uh, you know, like Until the Lions was really, I imagine, three characters. So I looked for specific dancers that I could, it was meant to be a solo for me, really. Um, because I've always wanted to play the male and female character 
um, you know, as a, as a, not as a child, actually, not so, uh, I'd like to say as a child, but it wasn't, it was after I got married. Um, I, there was a moment where uh, I, I went to my parents' house because I've got the key and I thought my parents were out and they were out. And I went into my mom's room and took a sari and I started putting it on because I wanted to explore what, how it changes the body. Um, because, you know, in Indian classical dance, uh, gender is much more fluid much more fluid um in western forms uh, uh it's very not strict but you know there's a real clear def definition i think that's a huge difference between the west and the east um and for me uh, uh i you know i wanted to exp i was looking at amba the role of amba and my mother came in and you know she came early and she caught me and she said she thought she knew me and she does know me, but, you know, she was a bit shocked that I came out in a sari. She called me wearing a sari. And she said, innocently, but, you know, so it's so wrong what she said. But she said, but you're married. You know, so she questioned my sexuality. Um, oh. And uh, that was interesting. Uh, 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 it was, and I said, yeah, I, you know, I, I, can, I can be straight and I can also be interested you know, I've always been fascinated by, um, uh, 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 you know, men who dress up in women's, embody uh, women's roles. You know, um, uh, there's a comedian uh, uh, that I'm a huge fan of. There's several, actually. Um, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. But yeah, <laughs> I've just been, I've always followed their work. Um, so you know, the fluidity is something that I find very fascinating, even though my work is never overtly sexual but it's extremely sensual and it shifts between feminine and masculine a lot. I feel very comfortable. It feels like my home. Actually, the only time I lose my gender and forget about my gender is when I'm on stage. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, uh, it, it's, it's something uh, that I've always been uh, uh, attracted to. And so when we came to doing Until the Lions, I thought, yeah, this is really a role that's split into two very clear uh, 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 um, genders, you know, mask, uh, Shikandi, who's male uh, uh, of sorts, and uh, Amba, who's f uh, female. And uh, then I got very lonely because I just made Dish. And I thought, you know, I just don't want to do a solo again. Uh, I wasn't ready to do a solo. It's a very lonely journey, and you're alone on stage. And we had these two incredible dancers in our previous work to Until the Lions, Itmoy, in the mind of Igor. Um, Ching Ying and Joy. So I invited them into the project um, with the with the kind of actually it was Farouk who suggested them, and Kartika Nair, who's the uh, uh, writer and poet of Until the Lions. So um, yeah, it was it was a beautiful moment for me to explore those things with them. You, you've picked up a, a couple of your um, amazing pieces, and I have to say, until the lions, I still remember seeing that at the Roundhouse, blown away. Oh, the Roundhouse, yeah, yeah. It, was, it, was, it was quite an exceptional um, theatre to see that piece of work in, particularly with the staging and the lighting and the sound. It was amazing, really, really, really exceptional. Thank you. But looking back over the, you know, you've got a huge roster, the number of awards and accolades, honestly, I did my own podcast show, I just about reeled them off there so long. For you, what what are the, or is there a defining piece or a, a piece that really stands out for you and your, you know, your, your 20 years so far with the company that is really extra special to you or brings you back to a moment in the studio 
or a moment that continues to to stay with you as a as, a, as something really unique yeah there's a there's a moment um a piece that was full of naivety and wisdom at the same time naivety that anything is possible wisdom that not everything is possible and if everything is possible it has responsibility with your choices you make and that was with city library shekawe and Nitin Sonia and Anthony Gormley. That was a magical moment for me, zero degrees. Because suddenly we went from making, I particularly went, I think Larbi was already there, but I, I particularly went from making work that I felt people need, wanted to see to making work that I felt I needed to say. That was the shift. And zero degrees was political in many ways. It was a reflection on the cultural cultural clashes and dynamics. Um, and it was about life and death, really. It was about the human body and how we're perceived differently depending on what passports we have um, and the power we have with those passports or the powerlessness we have with certain passports and uh, just a piece of paper just a piece of paper can define what you have access. And I can't, I can't um, say it more strongly enough as right now to the immigrants, migrants, sorry, and immigrants that, you know, the way Europe and the world is treating migrants and yeah, just, it's just, yeah. So zero degrees was a very pivotal moment for me and a beautiful moment because there was so much love between Larbi, myself, Nitin and Anthony Gormley. And I think it was a game changer to a little, uh, if, I, if I can dare to say that, that's a very big statement, but in a little bit of a game changer because suddenly words moved, dance spoke, and music did both. It was um, the genres, the forms were inseparable. That's, and I haven't really got there ever again. Uh, with other choreographies where, um, you know, uh, whether you were talking or whether you were uh, dancing it or whether you were singing it, um, uh, you never questioned the form because it was integral to the narrative. Well, that piece certainly lives up to the rules that I was reading about um, when you established your company with Farouk, which said, take risks, think big and daring, explore the unfamiliar, avoid compromise and tell stories through dance that are compelling and relevant with artistic integrity. Um, and you have mentioned that one particular piece and, and we've discussed politics and gender and power and abuse and there is so much in the world that we are experiencing at the moment differently. You know, you and I are very different, you know, listeners from all around the world who are experiencing this world very differently at the moment through the lens of either our passports, our origins, where we are in the world, where we're stuck in the world, where we can go, what we can do. What colours um, we are. Yeah, it's, it's uh, the one thing that is sort of bringing us together is the fact that we are um, in this moment as a, as a world going through the same thing, which is quite unique in itself. Um, I just want to sort of think about the Silent Burn project 
um, and how this project through some of the films and the, the discussions that you, you're, ha you're having in, in this um, live stream also tackles those, those subjects and the experience that we're going through. Tell me what can, what are you hoping people take away from the Silent Burn project? You know, I, I think I said earlier about pausing. So really it's not a stopping moment, but it's a pause. So the pause is a moment to, for us to take opportunity to reflect. And um, as I said, for me, the film that we're going to share with everyone is really um, like a poem. Um, a poem about journey, a poem about time, a poem about love, and a poem also about conflict. A poem about um, things that uh, we didn't say, that we were silent, and that were burning inside of us. But also now, it's also a poem about how that transformation went from being silent and burning within us to shouting to the top of our voices um, when things are wrong. Um, but it's ex it, for me, it's, it's such a wonderful project. Uh, I curated it with um, with a team of us. So it was Maven Koo, my creative associate, Celine, um, and Christine. So the four of us, uh, actually the three of them, <laughs> did most of the work. I was more on the outside kind of saying, yes, no, cut that, uh, add more there. But really they, they did the groundwork. They, did, they put it together, really. Um, and uh, I, I'm so, so... Uh, pleased with the result. Um, well, the first draft. We're doing a second draft tonight. So, um, <clears throat> but it's 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 you know we 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 have debates in it. One of them is called um, clouds of witnesses, and that explores otherness because these are themes that are in my work um, that I've been you know consciously um, and continuously uh, exploring with my team. Um, and that welcomes uh, the American ballerina, uh, Misty Copeland, British poet Suhaima Manzoor, uh, Indian cultural critic uh, uh, Rustam Barucha, um, Southeast Asian cultural activist Edin Kuku, uh, and British lecturer in theatre Royana Mitra. And then we've got another one called Hijacking God. And they're extraordinary, I have to say. I'm so moved. And we didn't want to be part of it. We just wanted to give them the platform and the space to speak about these ideas. We don't want to infiltrate or manipulate the conversations. We just proposed questions and left it to them. Um, the other one is called Hijacking God, and that's with amazing anthropologist, British anthropologist, um, Jerome Lewis, Indian dancer and researcher, Jai Chandran, um, and Indonesian writer um, and activist, Ayu um, Utami. Um, and they have a conversation about Hijacking God. And then we've got short films, and I, I'm amazed that Celine and Maven and uh, Christine managed to put this together during lockdown and uh, uh, during this moment of COVID, um, where things are not, you can't cross borders. So you know they would they would find a cameraman in India, they would find a cameraman in Singapore or Malaysia and in Europe, and they would film um, through Zoom. They would give instructions and they would film in a particular way. So we've got a lot of short films. We've got some lovely little anecdotes from Sylvie Guillem, um, Danny Boyle, Anthony Gormley, <coughs> and others. 
who, who are incredible, um, you know, to reflect upon the journey. You've got Farouk and I talking about our past and how we started. Um, we've got the Symphony of Fingerprints pro, uh, program, um, which is uh, really the collaborators talking about the processes uh, much more in depth. Some, you know, it shows the other side, the backstage, what goes on behind. And we've got the Sur Surrendering Clown um, project, which is uh, really about the classical intensive, our first classical intensive that Maven and I ran together um, because I was always running away from that. Uh, because I ran away from it. I felt, funny enough, I took it with me in a bag, my body being the bag, the rucksack, and ran away from my community of Indian classical dancers because for a very strange reason, because I was losing my hair. So... Why does that make you... It's weird because Krishna was always identified, portrayed with long curly hair. So Katak is predominantly... Um, uh, a follower of Krishna. So we emulate or we, we uh, uh, manifest, uh, you know, we, we look through the eyes of Krishna, we try to portray Krishna, let's say. Um, and so, you know, as I was losing my hand, also I, I felt a little bit bullied sometimes in India um, because I felt like the other, because I was from Bangladesh, British Bangladeshi. So, um, you know, there's racism, not just within the white culture. There's, there's uh, inherent biases in all cultures. And so, uh, you know, I, I was trying to find my place in a, in a tribe that I felt would accept me as I am. And that was really hard to find. Um, but I found that in the contemporary world and then realized, no, I'm not also accepted within the contemporary world because I'm seen as tokenism to a certain extent, especially in the first few years. Um, and it was not until zero degrees where the people who saw me in a tokenistic way uh, started to be quiet with their opinions of how, how you know, the comments of me being brown, um, that's why I got the opportunity. Um, it was nothing to do with my craft or talent. And so, um, yeah, so, you, so you, you're always find, trying to look for your tribe. And I, I feel like I have a family and that's AKC. And also the extended family, which is English National Ballet. You know, uh, I have a very deep uh, connection with them. I feel very close with the whole team, not just the dancers, but of course with Tamara, all their staff too. You know, we share, we share a common interest. Our intentions are for the good of the work, you know. Well, we're certainly waiting for the delayed premiere of Creature, which was supposed to be on the Saddler's Wells. I think it was. Was that yeah. Saddler's Wells in November? Yes. Um, well. So... Do we know when it's going to potentially be premiered? We're hoping next next year, towards the end of the year. There, there's a there's some possible dates there. Um, That's good. So, yeah. Something to look forward to, forward to for you know when we get out of this dark winter that we're going into. But yeah. I wanted to ask you, um, particularly as you're talking about other otherness there and your experiences, as you are obviously a world famous South Asian Katak dancer, contemporary dancer, choreographer, artistic director, you know, as I mentioned before, numerous awards and accolades. Um, and as a role model for other South Asian and Katak dancers, what do you, what advice would you give to other dancers who would like to be able to forge a career, not just in these times, but um, 
the sort of the younger generation coming through who would love to have a professional career, what advice would you pass on? I think the smartest or wisest thing I could do is to give space for me to listen to them. Because the advice I would give would be for pre-COVID-19. We're not going to enter, <clears throat> you would be deluding yourself if you think we're going, to, if anyone thinks we're going to go back to the exact normality of the world pre-COVID-19. We've left that world. We're going to enter a new norm, new normal. Um, it's, a, it's such a sad thought though, isn't it, really? <laughs> I know it's true, but it's also yes. really sad. It's terrifying like, like and it's terrible and loss very there. sad. Yes, there is a loss, but it's how we embrace this opportunity to reflect and to learn from those mistakes that were already in that normalcy. Because it's that silent burn concept where I was making work knowing that not everyone is okay on the other side of the world or other parts of England. There is a huge disparity between the rich and the poor. Um, and it's one thing creating art about it, re responding through art, that's important, very important. But it's another thing of consciously talking about it and acknowledging it. Um, being in the forefront of our everyday conversation. And somehow we're forced to do that but we shouldn't have been forced to do that by nature. You know, the arrogance of mankind, thinking that we own this, we, are, we own this earth. And anyone who does is the problem. Agreed. Um, we are uh, visitors, guests on this planet, aside from other, with other guests of other species. Um, I love, I, I, I love, you know, in, in the most terrible way, I laugh at the, um, the arrogance of um, Elon Musk and others who want to um, uh, 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 go to another planet. Um, the arrogance totally. of it. And, and in a sense, well, we've fucked up our planet. Excuse yeah. my French. No, agreed. Um, I agree. We're going to leave the people who can't have, don't have the resources yeah. and they will go off to, they're trying to go off to another planet. Um, we have the yeah, greatest gift Don't bother gift clearing here. up the mess here. Don't bother sorting yeah. out the damage we've done over the last few hundred yeah. years. No, let's just uh, put that in the revision mirror. Screwed up out of here. It's not. It's got nothing to do with me. You know. Yeah. It's and it's amazing what shocking. you just said. Few few hundred years. Yeah. The Earth has been going for millions of years. Millions and millions. And we've managed to mess it up in a few hundred years. The arrogance of mankind. And I. I I, I call it specifically mankind, not humankind. Um, just like I bring out the idea of history. Why is it his story? Uh, I couldn't so, uh, I agree so wholeheartedly. It's unbelievable. Um, so for me, the, these, these, if anything COVID has done, is it's, it's forced us to slow down, to stop or pause and reflect on truly the world that we were living in. So... And, and one pandemic revealed the many others, one of them being Black Lives Matter. Yeah. And so that was also always there. And it's not like we didn't know it. Everyone knows it. Everyone was aware of it. Absolutely. The whole industry knew it. Every industry knew it. Um, I knew it. But what did we do about it? Nothing. 
we just got on with our lives. Um, and the selfishness and the inwardness, including myself, in the bubble that we live in, so long as we are safe. I, I, I have this uh, approach now that I'm trying to uh, share with my children that we must all carry the principle that if only some of us are okay, then none of us are. If we can take that mantra into the future, then perhaps, perhaps there is some glimmer of hope. But remember, hope for me is not a strategy. It is a human attribute, if you like, but it's not a strategy of how to get out of it. We have to change policies. We have to change the epidemic racism uh, that is the invisible racism <clears throat> within the system. Uh, and it's, it's the empire. It's in every walk of our life. And it's even in India, it's even in Bangladesh, it's all around the world. We have inherent biases everywhere. Um, and it's huge when you think about it. And, and the question is, how do we tackle it? My daughter asks, she's seven, and she says, how, how do you tackle such a big monster, yeah. Papa? And I said, I don't know. But what I do know is we have to try. Because you get up to try means there's hope. Because you're moving. In movement, there is hope. If you gave up, hope is lost. I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to talk with me today. And I'll wait to, to see the Silent Burn project on Sunday, the 4th of October. So let me plug it again, Akram, for everyone who's listening. Make sure to celebrate the company's 20th anniversary. Get this date in your diary. It's Sunday, the 4th of October, midday UK time, where you can watch the debates, the shows, the videos, the chats. You can really go inside the company. And this is your one chance to, to do this. So make sure that you check out the company's website, YouTube channel, and Facebook Live, and follow the company on Instagram, Akram Khan Company. Thank you so much. Thank you. Don't forget to subscribe. We've got some incredible interviews coming up with principal ballerinas and renowned choreographers. We love dance and ballet, and we hope you'll love us. Join us on Facebook and Twitter.